Good morning, church. About 7.45 this morning, I got a phone call saying, man down. And, uh, man, please pray for our pastor. We love him very much. And uh, if you know anything about Brad, if he could have been here, he would be here. Uh, so the brother must be sick. So please pray for him and uh, for his healing. And I know there's many people in your families that are perhaps sick today. And uh, so we pray for them as well. And we hope that uh, today uh, is maybe a time of healing for each of us. Maybe there's something out of God, not maybe, always, there's something out of God's word that if we're willing to take that piece, and maybe it's a sentence, maybe it's a phrase, maybe it's a thought, maybe it's something again that we forgot, or something we've heard for the very first time, but it's lifted out of the pages of scripture and set in front of us, and we see it, it can be the most healing thing that we've ever experienced. When we take it and not just see it, but we take it within ourselves and we believe it, and then we act on it, it can change us forever. I know that it's happened in my life several different times, and especially that one day as a young boy where I took him at his word, where he said that I'll redeem you. And that amazing promise has changed my life ever since. So I hope this morning that perhaps a page out of Scripture speaks to you as well. As we look at Christmas, uh, we get excited about so many things. Our time with our family, uh, Whitney and I got to spend time with, with uh, my side of the family uh, yesterday and, and on Friday. And uh, it's always interesting and unique. And, and maybe you have those families, you get together, and, and the only reason you want to get together is for the stories that you'll tell afterwards about crazy Aunt Edna. Or maybe it's just that sweet, sweet time of that family unit being reunited and it's just, it's those times that you need. You haven't seen them all year. And maybe it's watching kids on Christmas Day opening their gifts and then proceeding to play with the boxes for the next three hours that the gifts were wrapped in. I don't know if that happens at your house. And maybe it's just the great memories. Maybe it's the time of, of uh, just being able to be together. The conversations that, or, or thinking about things that happened in the past and, and you just laugh about it. Those inside family jokes that no one else gets it and honestly no one else thinks is funny, but you do. Looking forward to it. But there's sadness too. Yesterday at 8.45 in the morning, almost 9 o'clock, I get a phone call. And it's from one of my dear friends in Medina. He said, Sean, I need to tell you something. But okay. He goes, your neighbor's house just burned to the ground. I said, what? He said, your neighbor's house, Rob's house just burned to the ground. I said, is he okay? He goes, I don't know. He began to ask some people. They said that he had gotten out. Backstory on Rob is this, is that he, has been my, he was my neighbor for six years in Chippewa Lake, Ohio. And, and we grew a relationship. Uh, he was a great guy. Uh, he, he, had a, he had a lot of problem with alcoholism and, and a lot of other issues in his life. Was not a believer, didn't know Christ, but honestly one of the best neighbors I've ever had. This brother for five years would mow my lawn every single week. That's a good neighbor right there. He goes, I'm out here, I might as well do it. I'm like, yes you should. Um, good guy. He would come over and at Christmas we'd always find something oddly scrawled on a Christmas card and like the most random gifts would be planted on our doorstep. You're like, you are a beautiful man. Come over and chat and sit and talk. Great guy. But the alcohol and, and, and the, 
prescription drugs have, have worked on him pretty badly. Earlier this year, Rob attempted suicide in, in uh, May 1st. And uh, we're the ones who found his house and walked through the process and, and walked through him the whole series of getting help and all these things and recovery. And we thought he was great. And then yesterday morning, his house burns to the ground and he lost everything, including his best friend, his dog. Uh, and it's just it's tragedy. It's not isolated. These things happen. There is sadness that comes along. Family members are lost, and perhaps this is your first Christmas without someone that you love dearly, and it's going to be hard, and I'm so, so sorry for that. I'm very sorry. Maybe it's about being alone, another Christmas alone. Maybe there's been a divorce in your family, and it's going to be sad. I'm sorry for that. I wish it didn't happen. Maybe you're single. I get you. 38 years, I was single, and then God gave her to me. Um... And you're just sitting there like, you know what, this stinks. I hate this. Why me? Why do they get someone? I smell better than they do. Whatever it is. I, I don't want to be alone. Maybe finances are tight. This last year has been tough for all of us. In some way, shape, or form. And you're like, I just wish I could give my kids more. I wish I could do this. I wish, I could, I wish we could travel there. It's hard. It's, it's hard. You're thinking about next year and the anticipation and the fear that's coming along of what may happen, what could happen. And, and there's some very big realities in that. So while there's a lot of joy at Christmas, sometimes there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sadness. And, and sometimes it's, it's just deep inside and it's something you've carried. And maybe in your family, Christmas doesn't mean anything happy. Maybe at Christmas it just meant dad was getting drunk and was going to beat mom one more day. Then there's things that come along that we're not prepared for. Things that are like a punch in the gut and in the jaw. They suck the air from our lungs, the room, and many times it feels like it sucks the air right out of the world. This last week, at Sandy Hook Elementary School, we saw such a thing. I sat there and, and I looked at the pictures this morning that they released of these kids. And I thought of our kids in Liberty Town and I thought of other children. I thought of my unborn child. What do you do with that? I'm not going to pretend to have some great answer because I, I don't know. And, and, and we look at that and, and, and we see that 20 babies, six adults who cared for these, who had dedicated their life to caring for people, gone, senseless. And this morning, I know you're like, man, we were talking about joy, and then you get up, Sean. I mean, come on, man. But, but let's not walk away from this thing that many times in this Christmas season, there are painful things that come about. This is one of them. We've had about 26 of these since Columbine. 26 mass killings like this since Columbine. Remember when that happened? We, we hadn't thought about it for a long time. Well, it didn't happen regularly. It's like it opened this floodgate of whatever and hundreds of people. And, and, we saw, and we saw the pictures and we saw the parents frantically and maybe parents of young children or, or just parents at all. You projected yourself where those parents were and your thoughts and your pit of your stomach. And there's horror. Just how this can't be. 
And then that horror, after things begin to come to place and we begin to hear the story, it turns to rage because there's a villain out there and we want to take him down, but we can't because that villain took his own life. And, and we want to project on him and we want to make that person pay. And so people put out, burn in hell. We hate you. It's the only way we know how to lash out. There may be sadness for the families, the children, the community, the family of the shooter. What are they going through? This is all at Christmas. How could this possibly be? But this is nothing new in our, in our society, as I said. About 28 mass shootings since Columbine in 1999. When all that went down, when 13 people were killed by these two boys and wounded by 21 others. Later that year, a Christian rock concert in Wedgwood Baptist Church, where seven young kids were killed. 2006, the Amish schoolhouse. 2012, Orcus University, a Korean Christian college. Seven people were killed by a former student. Virginia Tech, 33. Do you realize this, that 16 out of the 28 of these situations were all by people 22 years old and younger or involving all children, all young people? While the rage and the outrage, it seems like it mounts and mounts and gets bigger and bigger. This is nothing new. And I wish it was something so strange and so foreign that we didn't even have any way to put context to it. But we do ask the same questions every time. Why? Why did this happen? As we we're traveling back last night, uh, my wife, which she, she said, hey, I want, you, I want you to hear this. And she began to read an online post. Summed it up pretty good. And this gentleman, uh, Mr. Moore, was, was quoting, uh, and this is what he said. He said, in the hours after the shooting, Jewish political and cultural commentator John uh, Polhoritz called attention to a concept almost Christians, uh, most Christians don't like to think about at Christian time. He, he noted the heightened iniquity of a child's sacrifice in Hebrew scripture. The denunciation of the god Moloch. Moloch, of course, is the bloodthirsty deity who demanded his followers to pour out the lives of their children. In the valleys of atrocity was called Gehenna. And when Jesus talked about Gehenna, he talked about hell. And if you look in, in the Old Testament times where, where this was common, where they would give the children up to sacrifice. We can even go back to Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh began to feel threatened, right? Pharaoh's feeling threatened. And he says, okay, instead of going after the strong men of Israel, what does he do? He goes after the children again. And then we could even come directly right into the Christmas story where King Herod hears about someone trying to supplant his kingdom. The king has come. And when he can't get the information he wants, instead of targeting one, he targets thousands and thousands of children. And he killed them all. The why of these things happen is hard to understand in the way of understanding the motive. But if we accept this one thing, and this one thing only, it helps bring clarity to the why of the bigger picture. 
that there is evil in this world. And that evil is seeking to kill and to destroy. I want you to go to John chapter 10, verse 10. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus did a lot of things. And when he was with his disciples, and, and that's why we call it discipleship to this day, he would go face to face and toe to toe and scripture to scripture and say, I need you to know this. Because you need to know this because it's important. Because something's coming that you're going to come up against. That if you don't know this, your perspective is going to get skewed. The way that you see things is going to get skewed and, and you're going to start blaming the wrong things and doing the wrong things when really you should be fighting over here. And I don't want that to get skewed for you. Here's what he said. Back in the verse 7 of John chapter 10, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus Christ speaking. I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. Saved from what? Saved from what? Evil. Verse 10. But the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. He's saying, listen, listen, listen. You've got to understand this. There's someone out there who wants to take you down. There's someone out there who is evil. And if I'm not in the door of this pen. What the shepherds used to do is they'd herd these sheep, sheep into a, a pen and, and even a small enclosure. And then what they would do, they would lay their body across the door and that's where they'd sleep at night. So anything coming in to get the sheep had to go over the body of the shepherd and the shepherd just would not let that happen. He said, there's a thief and he's trying to kill and to destroy. There's someone out there who hates you. Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. They're just wrangling back and forth and, and Jesus had, had, had cast out some demons. And so the Pharisees and, and all their grandeur. And understand, we have people in our world today who are professionals and I believe that what they're doing and they really believe it's right. And I believe that they have some good sound reasoning and they're highly educated and they do a lot of really good things. But sometimes they get it wrong and this is the instance where the Pharisees got it wrong. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 24 says, But when the Pharisees heard this, that he had cast out demons, this man cast out demons only, they said, this man cast out demons only by bills above the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How will then his kingdom stand? A couple things I want to pull out real quick. Satan has a kingdom. And he's building it. Kingdoms have plans. They scheme and they try, try, to, try to lay things out. Strategy. And they have armies. A kingdom is not a kingdom without an army because it would soon be overthrown. There is an army. Kingdoms are seeking to expand all the time and trying to gather new territory so they can be bigger and stronger. And that their, their, uh, their leverage can be felt throughout the world. Just, just look, at, uh, look at Europe and, and even look at the, uh, all the Middle Ages and the Roman Empire. All of that. Why? Expand for more power. Kingdoms are power hungry. If a kingdom is seeking just to ransack, loot, incite fear and destroy, it is not concerned with collateral damage or going overboard. The further it goes, the better. If you look at Attila the Hun and some of these other guys who would come in and sweep through countryside and you'd see they'd burn and ravage and they didn't worry about collateral damage. They were trying to incite fear so whenever they showed up in a town, everybody would shake. 
people would lay down their arms and say, hey, 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 just don't mess with me, man. Hey, you deal with them. I'm going to be over here. They would come to a village and the people would just come out and give them everything they wanted so they would not get destroyed because they're trying to get into your head, into your spirit and destroy your life. First Peter chapter five. It talks about this, this kingdom. First Peter chapter five, verse eight. Verse 9. I want to say this so that we can put into perspective this fact. Christ was sending out a message that everyone knew. And and if you look throughout Scripture, this is really the first time uh, that in in his lifetime where this becomes very articulated. It, It used to focus on the people of evil, and it used to focus on fighting against them, and whether it be the Edomites, whether it be people who are trying to cut down the people of God, fight against them, pursue God, pursue God, pursue God. But Jesus is putting a name to this. And here's what it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober, spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. He says, listen, I need to let you know that there's an enemy out there. And he's bad. And he hates you. And he wants to destroy you. He he doesn't want to just incite fear. He wants to destroy you. Unless that fear will cause you to collapse in on yourself. He wants to come in and he doesn't just want to steal the things from your house. He wants to destroy the house and everything in it. That's his goal. That's his purpose. This enemy is also called a deceiver, wants us to believe a lot of different things, lies about ourselves, wants us to believe, be shamed into doing what he wants us to do. And, and you know, we, we've read the books, right? We've read about how to, how to overcome the lies of the enemy and, you know, the guilt of the past and the things that we've been carrying, which is very, very real, and how to release that and, and, and how to step away from these things. And we've read all that. But he also wants us to believe other things. Here's what it says in John chapter 8, verse 44. He was speaking to people who were evildoers. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and your wills to do your father's desire. Listen to this. This is crazy. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of all lives. I want to circle back to the why. I want to circle back to the why. Why all this stuff? Why is all this going on? The enemy wants us to go first and say, this is a human problem. The enemy wants us to come out and say, this is a human problem. And so why did this person do this? Let's look at the backstory of this person. And don't get me wrong. There are backstories and there are reasons for why people do things and there are contributing factors. But he wants us to think it's a psychological or psychosis fix. And that's all it is. There's a glitch in the human genome and something flipped over in their mind and, and they broke. They were insane. They were crazy. They're a lunatic. That's what he wants us to think. He wants us to, to run them to doctors and doctors do great and amazing things and, and absolutely do wonderful things. We, he wants us to get them all on medicine. It'll change all of this. Go into therapy and there is a time for therapy. Don't hear me wrong. But what I'm saying is he wants that to be the only solution. 
Brad said it very well last week. He wants us, and listen to this, if he makes it a human problem when these tragedies, these terrible, terrible things happen, if he makes it a human problem, here's what happens. We walk down the street with distrust. When that person knocks on our door, instead of going joyfully to see who it is, we stand back just a little bit because we're fearful because who's on the other side? We have conversations with people and we do not trust anymore. And what happens is this this unity that the Bible talks about, even among the church and what was designed for mankind, begins to erode and break apart. And we become cocooned in our own place. And the accountability and the structure that God had designed for the church to thrive and for us to thrive as humans is beginning to be eroded and broken apart. He wants to say, I'm just going to take care of those closest to me and forget the crazies. The enemy has a plan. He's advancing his kingdom. He wants to seek and to destroy. These things happen and it's awful. It's terrible. And it's right on plan. He wants us to run in circles asking why and how do we fix it? What do I need to do? How do I make sure my kid doesn't turn out like that? Do I have these symptoms? Do I have a problem? Do I need... He wants us to do that and just keep running in these circles. Why? One of the major reasons is so we won't attack him with the only weapon that he fears the most. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Understanding the fact that this is not just merely a human condition. This is just not something that happens in someone's mind and they flip and they turn over and everything changes. That is so much bigger and so much deeper and has gone through eternity from the day that Satan and his angels revolted against God. Evil entered And ever since then, the enemy's been trying to get you and me to think it's our fault. Yes, we make choices, but he introduced evil. Ephesians chapter 6. If you don't look at any other scripture, please look at this this morning. Ephesians chapter 6. I want to submit to you this morning that yes, there may be psychosis. There may be some problems. Mentally, instability, there may be a lot of these things. But I want to submit to you this morning this. That's not the only problem. That's not the root of the problem. That is not the thing that takes a 20-year-old boy to murder. It's evil. It's satanic. It is demonic. And I know we sit in church, we're like, whoa, 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 you're getting deep. This is the reality. It's not about fear. When I say satanic and demonic, here's what happens. You ready? And most of us as Christians, we get fearful. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Demons coming down from the ceiling, man. I don't want to have those dreams again. Why? Because remember what I said before? The enemy comes in with all, as much collateral damage as he can get to make you and I fear so that we run. So we hear those words and we shrink away from them. And people in the pulpit stand back and say, we don't talk about that here. Spiritual warfare, hey, don't want to deal with that so much. Why? Because it's scary to people. It's not scary if you've conquered. It's not scary if you've overcome. It's not scary if you understand that there is a liar who is like Oz, who puffs himself up so much bigger than he is when he knows he's already beaten. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. 
Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so you'll be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15 of Ephesians chapter 6. And having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith that you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Listen to me. We are not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against an enemy who is evil and on a demonic level, and he's trying to destroy us. These things happen in the world because of evil and because the evil one whispers in the ears of these people. If you look at the backstories of many of these people who created these things, they had uh, auditory hallucinations. They saw things. They heard things. Voices in the head telling them to do these things. Where does that come from? The evil one. And yes, he uses situations and psychosis to extenuate that and move that forward. But understand, the evil one will use our greatest weaknesses. To destroy us. Isn't that true just in our own life? Isn't that true like with, with me? If I have addiction, he's going to find that one place that I'm addicted to and he's going to put it right in front of me every single step of the way. If I have a problem with anger, is he not going to cause everything in my house to stub my toe at 2 a.m. when I get up to go to the bathroom? Of course he is. If I have a problem with, with intimacy and closeness in relationships, he is going to try to make my relationships as awkward as he can. Why? That's my weakness. So why would he not take the weakness of these people who are in these situations and whisper in their ears to do evil and terrible and awful things? Because he wants to destroy. He said, well, but, but, but it doesn't make sense. My children. Again, this article that I read was amazing. It says this. Satan hates children because he hates Jesus. When evil destroys the least of these, the most vulnerable things among, among us, it destroys the picture of Jesus himself, of the child delivered by the woman who crushes the head of a reptilian overlord. The demonic powers know that the human race is saved and they're vanquished by a child born of a woman, and so they hate the children who bear his nature. Make sense? Destroy. Come after it. If I can't get you, I'm going to get your kids. Parents, it's one of the greatest fears. I've been in youth ministry over 15 years, and I've sat down with the parent after parent who are doing amazing, great jobs. And they said, I don't know what to do. I'm afraid my kids are going to go off the deep end, and the enemy wants that so, so bad. He wants to destroy your children. And parents, you know that. And that's why when it talks about bathing your children in prayer and praying for your child and covering them with Scripture so that they know who they are and who they're called to be and standing in that gap and not allowing work to take your precedence, but they take that precedence so you can stand before them and pour Scripture into their life and fight for them. Fathers, I guarantee, guarantee as men, if someone tried to come into our homes to hurt our children or our wives, I doubt there's a man here who would not stand that doorway and fight to the death. And that's what I respect about you guys. Yet, there's an enemy who's at our doorway who's trying to destroy our kids. And not just physically, all these other ways. 16 of the 28 of these mass killings involve children. You don't think the devil has an agenda? Understand this this morning. The enemy's hatred of us and of our children goes all the way back to his division with God who kicked him out of heaven and vanquished him to earth until a time when he'll be sent to hell and he knows his days are numbered. 
But understand this. When people turn their minds and hearts away from the worship of God, they turn to something else. And anything worshipped other than God is an idol, which will be used by Satan to draw us further and further and further away from that relationship we're supposed to have. When we turn our eyes, we say, well, I'm not a Satan worshiper. Let me put this out there. If he is the prince in the power of the air and all things in the world above him, and if we are worshiping something in this world, it is our idol and it is something we're worshiping other than God. So we worship something that is controlled by Satan. Are we yet not, in fact, a worshiper of the enemy then? So whenever we've turned aside and we've gone that way, no wonder he has control over our lives because he has that button he can just push at any point. We talk about being vessels of God, being used to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with people and being able to do good things like what we've done in New Jersey, what we've done at Riverview, what we've done in these other places. We love that. And with Yoslin's uh, project at her house and all that, you were, we were part of that. If we can be vessels for righteousness, can we not yet be vessels for unrighteousness? But it says we are following those who we submit ourselves to. What's controlling our lives? If evil controls our lives, we will do evil things. The same thing has happened with these kids. The why? Because evil is in this world. Evil is in this world. But victory can and has been given. We cannot have victory on our own. We cannot fight this fight with human means. It must and can only be won by the one who carries the power to vanquish evil, death, hell, and the grave. The one who has conquered all of those things. We must side with that person. We must come alongside and say, I don't want evil. I want to fight with you. I will do it to the death. Let's go. Romans chapter 8, verse 37 and 39 Romans 8, 37 and 39. Through 39. Here's what it says. You ready? Christians, if you don't have this underlined in your Bible, I beg you to underline it. And, and, and let, me just, let me just get here. If you don't have a Bible, if you'd like one, we'd love to help you have one. But if you have one and you haven't opened it lately, this is where your power is. It's only found here. Found nowhere else. Self-help books are great and all the rest, but this is the power because it contains the very word of God. Romans 8, 37-39 says, But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything created, Satan was created, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We win. We win. We win. Yet, there's evil in this world. There's evil to be overcome. And the problem is this. Whenever people do not accept what Jesus Christ has offered to them, transform, that he, they present their bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is their reasonable act of a service. And if they're not transformed by the renewing of their mind, then they're left doomed. By the cursing of Satan. If we don't give our lives fully to him, then who has control? If we think we have control, it's a joke. We don't. The enemy does. And when evil has control, he wreaks all sorts of havoc personally and around us. But victory. This is why Christmas is so amazing. It is a time of rejoicing even in an imperfect and often hurt-filled world. The fulfillment of the promise has come. They waited There's a 400-year silence 
And then something happened. A baby was born. This baby that we celebrate his birth was the light shining in the darkness of a world that had increasingly become beaten down by evil and forced to live under the tyranny and brutality of a world controlled by the evil one. For 400 years, he had the run of the earth. The enemy would knew it would happen. He just didn't know when. Then one day, perhaps, through his worldwide demonic network, he heard about a young woman, just a girl, who's carrying a very, very special child. And the reports came in from his minions and they began to tell him something about this. There's an angel. He visited her. So he followed her day after day. And the enemy would come up behind her, tempting her to get rid of this child. What you heard, you're disillusioned. You don't know that that really was an angel. You don't know that this is the son of God. You're pregnant. You have no husband. Just get rid of the baby. Save yourself. Save. Joseph is a righteous man. You're going to do this to him and embarrass him in this way? Because God told you to? Just get rid of it. If you love him, do not do this. And he began to use and twist and, and deceit and lies and twist it all around. Perhaps he tried to ruin her by telling her that this wasn't of God and she was delusional, despite the multiple confirmations from Scripture and her time spent with him. The enemy attacked Joseph with doubt, but Joseph, being a righteous man, was quickly comforted and emboldened by the God of the universe to not divorce his fiancée, but to embrace her. Perhaps on the road to Bethlehem, potholes and rocks sprung up where they had never been before to try to trip the donkey carrying this young woman and injure her or her unborn child. Perhaps the hearts of robbers and thugs were stirred by the evil one to go to the same highway traveled by this young couple and pray on the most vulnerable, which obviously would have been her because she has nowhere to run or no capability to run, being this far along in her pregnancy. But they never saw this young couple hidden by an angelic army. As they entered the city of Bethlehem, perhaps it was the enemy who orchestrated the last minute filling of inns and homes to leave this heavily expectant mother without a place to rest, which is so so important in the final days of pregnancy. The enemy wanted to embarrass the man for not being able to provide for his family. You can't even find a place for your people to sleep. What kind of husband are you going to be? What kind of man are you? Is he not doing that today with a lot of us guys? He wanted to shame him. You're going to put her in a place where cattle and sheep birth their offspring. Shaming the woman is just an animal. He wanted her to see herself as worthless and to become discouraged. It wasn't supposed to happen this way, but he didn't count on the fact that this woman, who had found favor in the eyes of God because of her spirit, character, and dependency on him, she's not going to believe his lies tonight. Revelation chapter 12, verse 4 says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. My friends, evil was present even at the birth of Jesus. Then it happened. All the attempts of the evil one, all the tyranny of the world, all the sin, oppression, hopelessness, fears, lies, shame, and darkness were swept away with the first cries of the Christ child. Hope had entered the world. He had come that we may have life and we may have it more abundantly. Redemption was nigh. It was a new day. He had come to bring life, hope, and to vanquish the evil one. Now fear switched from being a tool of the enemy to being a characteristic of the enemy. He had always known his days were numbered, but now he could see the clock. 
So he set his minions to the course to seek and destroy as many of those he could made in the likeness of God. However, this child grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He lived on the earth for 33 years, facing all the temptations and all the challenges he faced, yet he never gave in. He walked the same path, faced the same trials. He said, I will not give in because I have something I'm fighting for so much bigger. And it's you and it's you and it's you and it's you. And I'm fighting against him and I will destroy him. He loved deeply, profoundly and openly. He did not. He did good wherever he went. And in contrast to the evil one, a path that transformed whole, beautiful, hope filled lives were left behind him. He challenged things that were religious, but kept people in bondage and brought everything full circle. And I love this piece. He left the religious doings and trappings on the floor of the temple that he strung about all the changing tables and kicked out all the evildoers. And he brought it back to the garden. He brought it back to the time spent with the creator of the universe in deep conversation and friendship as Adam had. He brought it back to relationship. The God of the universe will once again be approachable by man for the first time since the beginning of creation. Jesus Christ restored all of this. Then he allowed the agents of the evil one to abuse him and ridicule him one last time and ultimately to kill him. The evil one couldn't believe his fortune. Had he changed destiny? He certainly thought so. Then on the third day, the ground began to rumble and the devil began to shake. It wasn't over yet. Hope was coming. Victory was on the rise. The one he had tried to kill could not be bound by death. He only used it as a tool to prove who he was. Christ emerged from his grave clothes, clothed in glory, and the enemy hid. Because when Christ is present, the devil flees. He knew that what it says in Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 29 was about to come true. He knew that one day Christ was going to wipe away every tear. He was 1029. It says, how much severe punishment do you think he would deserve who has trampled under the foot of the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. Once Jesus Christ came back from the grave, Accomplishing his purpose on earth, Satan knew his days were numbered, and fear became part of his life. The world's a mess. We get that. There are problems, there are tribulations, there are things going on. But understand, the why is because evil is present. And why is evil present? Because there is a demonic, satanic power in this world trying to destroy each and every one of us. And the only way to fight is not to run and flee, but to stand fast in the strength and the power of Jesus Christ. But we can't do that if we don't know him. If we have not invited him into our life every single day and allowed him to take away that sin and remove it from our lives and standing fast in the the place of his scripture and in prayer and getting before him saying, God, I want you to use me. I only want you to control my life. Then how are we ever going to fight against the evil one? Because we can only overcome through scripture and the power of of the lamb. This morning, I'm going to ask you this as we close. Do you want to win? It seems hopeless. What's next? Who's going to do what next? Are we living in fear? We need to be cautious. We need to take precautions. I get that. But this morning, I'm telling you this, and I want us to understand this. There's an enemy who hates you, and he will try to destroy you, just as he did these little children. And if he will deal many, many, many more children, many, many more people, and he will use people who are weak, who are hurting, people who allow themselves to be controlled by him, and he will use them to carry these things out because he wants us to turn on each other. But instead of turning on each other, let's turn to each other. 
Let's turn to each other and let's lock arms and advance boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ, not holding back, not shrinking from our duty and not cowering from the enemy because before us goes the victor. Before us goes the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's already redeemed us, who's given us the victory and we've conquered. Why are we so scared? Embarrassed? I think not. He's come that we may have life and may have it more abundantly. You ready? He didn't just come 2,000 years ago. He's coming again. And on that day, we can applaud for Christ, but on that day, understand this, when he comes back, the devil will not just shudder and quake. He will be bound. He will be cast away. The earth will be as it should have been all along, except for sin and the evil one who came in in that garden and deceived and lied, just like he's doing to us today. There is hope. And it is only found in Jesus Christ. If we're looking any other place, it will fall flat. This morning, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Christmas time is for you. This gentleman ended his column by saying this. He said he began to reiterate all the different things that were going on in the world. Here's how he wrapped. He said, the satanic powers want the kingdoms of the universe and child and a child uproots the reign. Let's not offer pat answers to the grieving parents of communities in Connecticut. We don't fully understand the mystery of iniquity. We don't know why God didn't put this, uh, stop this from happening. But we do know that this is an act. It's satanic. We should say so. As we do, let's remember that Bethlehem was an act of war. Let's remember that the one born there was a prince of peace who crushed the skull of the ancient murderer of Eden. Let's pray for the second coming of Mary's son. As we sing our Christmas carols, let's look into the slitted eyes of Satan as we promise him the threat of his coming crushed skull. The mystery of evil is a declaration of war and the peace of God's creation. The war goes on, but not for long. Sometimes the most warlike thing we can say in an inhuman murderous age like this, it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Where will you stand? Who will you stand with? How will you stand? Let us stand boldly. Let us stand with Christ. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, and and this is why. Closing our eyes is one of the most intimate things we can do because it's just us. I don't know where you stand. As I said earlier, I don't know where you've come in from from the world. And and maybe this last week has shaken you and it scared you. And and I get that. I I feel the same in the emotions and the rage and all that. But that is that is for not because the enemy will be vanquished. But this morning. Jesus Christ is coming and he's standing here. He says, behold, he stands at the door and knock. He's waiting, waiting, waiting for you. Please do not let him stand at the door much longer. If you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, please this morning understand he wants to have that with you. If you're fearful of the things in this world and you don't know where to turn or what to do and you've been looking for human answers, he goes, look no further than me. I am the Redeemer. You've never entered into a relationship with him. You've never asked him to take over your life and forgive your sins this morning. I challenge you to do that. Please do not let this go by. If you're standing here this morning, if you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, I've lived in fear too long. It's time to remember whose I am and on whose side I fight. This is your opportunity as well.